If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. As I read through this chapter, I want you to remember the uh, context here where um, Solomon is, is seeking to show that life under the sun without any understanding of who and what is above the sun is absolutely meaningless. I, I mentioned before that, that it seems that he's having an existential crisis, that he's wondering, why in the world do I exist? What is my purpose in, in life? And so he's going through all these scenarios showing us just how terrible life on earth can be from the perspective of a person that doesn't know Christ. And so as we read it, I want you to think about that in chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time, to every purpose under the heaven. Time to be born and a time to die. Time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. Time to kill and a time to heal. Time to break down and a time to build up. Time to weep and a time to laugh. Time to mourn and a time to dance. Time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit has he that works in that wherein he labors? I've seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God does it, that men should fear before Him. That which has been is now, and that which is to be has been already. And God requires that which is past. And moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them, and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalls the sons of man befalls beasts. Even one thing befalls them, as the one dies, so dies the other. Yea, they, shall have, they all have one breath, so that a man has no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity." All go into one place, all are the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knows the spirit of man that goes upward, and the spirit of the beast that goes downward to the earth? Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? Lord, as we look into this deep chapter of Ecclesiastes, may your wisdom be our guide. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So after establishing that life without God is meaningless and that worldly pleasure cannot uh, satisfy a human heart, Solomon is now going to show us that the life you live on this earth is just filled with ups and downs. And his point in this chapter is life is very complex, but the complexity of the life that you live on this earth should not keep you from enjoying it. Look at how he ends the, the chapter when you look at verse 22. Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him. He says, enjoy the life God has given you. Which is the same thing he said after understanding that worldly pleasure could not bring any satisfaction back in chapter 2, verse 24. Now, I'm going to just pull a few truths out of this chapter that will help us live the life that God desires for us to live. I'm not going to break down every single verse here. I'm going to, I'm going to pull some truths out. And I'm going to start here with verse 11. And I'm going to show you that God created us for eternity. He says there, He has made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end. See, God has given us desire for something that's too big for us to comprehend. The King James Version here says He set the world in their heart. Most other versions say eternity there. And the idea is it's something huge, something far bigger than mankind. You know, the idea is when you look at a human being, a human being wants to understand and wants to experience all that exists in this world. But we can't do that because we don't have the ability to do that. But nevertheless, there's still a yearning in the human heart. A yearning in the human heart that's not in the heart of an animal, not in the heart of a fish, of a reptile. A yearning in a human heart that wants to know more than he or she knows. That's why we develop technology. That's why you have doctors who are running around trying to find cures for diseases. That's why you have explorers who in the olden days set across oceans. That's why people read books. Uh, th that's why as soon as we begin to talk, the first thing we do is ask questions. Why? 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 How? 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 You see, God has created us to experience more than we can experience in a lifetime. And here we are, human beings, trapped in time. Trapped in time, so to speak. And the idea is we want to be released from time, specifically because we know that our time on this earth is short. We know that all that we're doing on this earth is one day going to come to a screeching halt. And there's so much more we want to know, so much more we want to experience. Now listen, God has put a desire in our heart to know everything, so we will cling to the one who does know everything. God has put a desire in our heart to know everything. He has set the world in their heart, set eternity in their heart. So that we will cling to the one who does know everything. The frustration of a limited amount of time on this earth is conquered by the knowledge of God. That's his point here. This frustration that many of you have no clue what I'm talking about because you're so young, you're not even thinking about how short life is. Some of you who are older know exactly what I'm talking about. 
But the frustration of a limited amount of time on this earth is conquered by the knowledge of God. That's what this chapter is about. Listen to what the Bible says about those who go to heaven. It says, now we see through a glass darkly. In other words, we can see, but we can't see clearly. But he said, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then... I shall know even as I also am am known. The idea that Paul's putting forth there in 1 Corinthians 13 is in heaven. We will know as much as is humanly possible. As much as a created being can know. When you and I get to heaven, we'll know that. Now time is different in heaven than it is on earth. Now in heaven, time does exist. It does exist. In other words, what is time? Time is a sequence of events. And in heaven, there are sequences of events. The difference between time on earth and time in heaven is very simple. Time doesn't end in heaven. It doesn't expire. Normally, when you think of time, what do you think of? Well, you think of running out of time, right? Well, you think, well, I have little time. You might say, well, I'm on borrowed time. You might say, well, my time's coming to an end. Right? That's what we think about when we think about heaven. But here's the thing. None of that relates in heaven. And God has created us for eternity. And and, and life on this earth has an end. And it's that reality that leads to frustration. God has created us for eternity. Our time on earth comes to an end. Therefore, we are a frustrated people. That's the point of verse 11. He has set the world in their heart. So much they want to do. Now the second thing I want you to see here is that God has ordered our life. Look at at verse 1. Verse 1 is a summary to the poem found in verses 1 through 8. Some of you thought that was a bird's song. Amen? Some of you have no idea who the birds are. But they had that song. To everything there is a season. Turn, turn, turn. Right? Well, they got it right out of here. But verse 1 is the introduction. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heavens. I want you to notice two words in verse 1. Season and times. There are seasons of life that we must endure. There are events and there are changes in your life that are just going to happen. Summer is coming. Some of y'all thought summer was here. It's not even here yet, folks. Summer is coming and there ain't nothing you can do about it. There's, there, there's another word I want to point out to you. It's the word purpose. There is a purpose under heaven. And you know what that word in the Hebrew means? It, it literally means pleasure. And so if you really want to try to interpret the, the beginning of this poem, it means that the inevitable changes in life bring pleasure to us. This is the equivalent of Romans 8.28. All things work together. All seasons, all times work together for a specific purpose. No matter how difficult life may be, no matter how great life may be, God is actively involved in every single season in your life. Now, you're going to experience, I want to just kind of use as an illustration, an analogy here of the seasons we know on this earth. Think about fall. What happens when fall comes? Well, when fall comes, everything seems to fall. There's removal of leaves from the trees. And there are going to be seasons in your life of removal. Seasons of conviction in your life. Seasons when the Lord says, that has to get out of here. 
There's no place in your life for this. And whether it's through circumstances or, the, or just a deep conviction of the Spirit in your life, there are going to be, have to, to be things in your life that are going to have to be pulled away, ripped from you. And then there are going to be times in your life when you experience winter. What is winter? Winter is hibernation. There are times when God will just shut you up, when it seems like you don't have a friend in the world. When it seems like you're just all alone. But during those times of loneliness, there's a great opportunity to grow in the grace of God. A great opportunity to learn that there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that friend is the Lord Jesus Christ. That there are times of winter in your life ordained by God. And then there's spring in your life. When when new life comes and and things are growing and and things are exciting. And then there's summer in your life where everything comes to full bloom. And life is just a beach trip. And listen, those seasons would just keep repeating in your life. You're going to have fall. You're going to have spring. You're going to have winter. You're going to have summer. All of that is just going to keep repeating all out your life. There's going to be times of loss throughout your life. There's going to be times of darkness throughout your life. There's going to be times of newness throughout your life. And then there's going to be times of surplus in your life. To everything. There's a season. There's a time. But in every single season, God is working. Every moment in your life matters. Every moment. When you look at verse 11, what does it say? It says, He has made everything beautiful in His time. Everything isn't beautiful, y'all. He makes it beautiful. You hear me? Everything isn't beautiful. There's some ugly stuff in this world. There's some ugly stuff in your life. Some stuff that you have to endure, man, that's difficult. But He's making everything beautiful. Have you ever had someone watch over your shoulder while you work? Now you know what you're doing, right? Whatever it is. Whether it's cooking. Whether it's fixing something. Whether it's working out a problem. And you're trying to do it and here they are over your shoulder. And they're just looking. They're not saying much. They're just looking. You know what you're doing. But they're concerned about it. Sometimes they might even have something to say. Well, why are you doing that? Well, why, didn't you, why, why, why don't you do it this way? Does that drive you crazy? Oh, it drives me crazy. You want them to go away and you want them to come back when it's done. Amen? Go on inside. I'll let you know when it's done. When here's the thing, church, listen to me. When it comes to your life, God isn't finished. God is still working, and there's no reason for you to look over His shoulder and say, whoa, 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 why are you doing it that way, Lord? Uh, God, I think you're messing it up there. Everything in my life, everything in your life, if we know Christ, everything is necessary. And in the end, if you're saved, in the end, I will promise you, your life is going to be a masterpiece. You hear me? If you're saved... In the end, when everything's done, when God is through, your life is going to be a masterpiece. Never measure the beauty of an artist's work until the last stroke is painted. 
Never measure the beauty of an artist's work until the last stroke is painted. I used to watch that fuzzy-headed guy on PBS. You know, what was his name? You know what I'm talking about. Who planted the happy trees. Bob Ross. And when he starts out, what does it look like? It looks like, boy, that's ugly. In the end, you're just amazed. And I don't know where you are in your life right now, and you don't need it for that matter. But God knows where He's at. And every season in your life, God's putting another stroke on the canvas. And it may look like He doesn't know what He's doing, and it may look like, man, I don't know what's happening, but listen to me. If you're still breathing, He's still painting. Amen? If you are still breathing, He is still painting. Now, we're called to properly respond to the circumstances of life. That's where we get kind of to the meat of everything here in verses 1 through 8. Verses 2 through 8, really. We have to properly respond to the circumstances, the seasons, the times of our life that God has brought. Solomon had learned this by experience. Here's a very interesting thing for those of you who really like to study the Bible. For the most part, the times refers to that which brings joy and that which brings sorrow. Now, a lot of the pleasures Solomon listed back in, um, in, 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 in chapter 2, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 3, he also listed as his accomplishments in chapter 2. If you go back to chapter 2, because he's going to say, well, there's a time to plant. Well, back in chapter 2, he talks about that. He said, I planted in chapter 2, verse 5. He said, there's a time to laugh. He talked about that in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He said, I laughed. He said, there's a time to build. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, he said that. He said, there was a time when I built. He says here that there's a time to obtain. And then he says back in chapter 2, verse 8, that he obtained. And so what this really reads like is he's saying, look, there was a time that all these things happened in my life and, and it was good, but then there was a time when all of these other things happened in my life as well. He doesn't want us to think after chapter 2 when he talked about all these things he accomplished, he doesn't want us to think that life is all sunshine. And so I want us to look now at some of the circumstances of life that Solomon lists here and how you and I are supposed to respond to them. He says, uh, first of all, there's a time to be born and a time to die. That's pretty simple. He just starts out with the most basic thing, doesn't he? There's a time to come into this world and there's a time to leave this world. And here's the thing. Listen to me. Listen to me, ma'am. You don't get to choose either day. Amen? You don't get to choose your birthday when you came into this world. You don't get to choose when you leave this world either. But if you're wise, the day of your death is going to be better than the day of your birth. I want you to notice verse 3 also contains a time to plant and a time to pluck up. The day of planting is coupled with the day of birth. The idea here is, is the day of planting is the most difficult day for the farmer. The day of planting is the hard work. The day of planting means you get no immediate reward. What does the day of harvest mean? The day of harvest means money. The day of harvest means food. The day of harvest means, man, I can finally rest. Listen to me, church. If you know Christ, the day of your death should not worry you because life is much harder for the believer than death is. As long as you respond to the day of your birth by giving your life to Christ, the day of your death will be a day of nothing but joy. 
We're all going to die and we know it. And there's no excuse not to be prepared for it. You know, oftentimes when I'm visiting with our shut-ins, I'm visiting with people who are suffering, one of the things I always have to remind them of is, you know what? God blessed you with many years. There were many years God blessed you when you came and went as you wanted. When you look at the home you're in, look at the family you have, you had, and I have to remind them, not, not that they're not reminded themselves, but just to encourage them, I remind them, God has given you a long life and a good life, and there is a time to be born, and then there's a time to live, and there's a prime you go through. But the reality is this, there's also a time to die. And we enter into that season and we have to, when we do that, we need to make sure that our mind is set on Christ because that's the only way we can ever have joy. To know that our life does not end in a graveyard. We just sang just a minute ago. I I love that song. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. When He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Man, I tell you, I think about that, y'all. I think about dying. I think about going and being with the Lord. I think about the fact that, yes, there is a time to be born. And there's a time to sweat. And there's a time to work. And then there's going to be a time to get old. And a time where I can barely get out of the bed. And a time where nobody's going to be able to, to really come and see me because all I ever want to do is just talk about how awful my life is. But I have to remind myself, folks, that I'm on my way to a land that is fairer than day. I'm, I'm crossing the Jordan one of the... I have to remind myself of that, man, in those days. And the, me, even now, reminding myself of, the, of those days just gets me so excited about going to heaven one of these days. Listen, that that, that farmer out there planting, he can keep planting and he can keep going because he knows the harvest. And one of these days, the Bible says that God's going to stick the sickle down into the harvest on this earth. And if we know Christ, we'll be in the barn. Amen? We'll be in the barn. Then he says that there's a time to kill and a time to heal. The word kill there is harag, H-A-R-A-G in Hebrew. And the meaning of that word is to execute someone. Capital punishment is sanctioned in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well. Exodus 21.12, Romans chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. There are times when a person is so evil that the government has to put them to death. And as hard as it may sound for us to really understand, there is a time to kill. It protects the innocent. It deters evil works. It brings about justice. Evil people must sometimes be put to death. And when justice is served, oftentimes healing can begin to take place for the victims. And we live in a fallen world, and to keep evil from spreading, extreme measures are needed at times. If a person breaks into your home and attempts to kill your family, are you to simply let him? No. Why? Because there's a time to kill. If a man were to come into this church and attempt to exterminate us, are we to sit back and allow him? No. Why? Because there's a time to kill. In December 2019, Jack Wilson was sitting in a Texas church with over 240 people. A man entered the church with a gun and he began shooting people in the congregation. 
Mr. Wilson grabbed his firearm and dropped the gunman in his tracks. I've watched that video and it's one of the most horrifying things you could ever imagine as a pastor. A man walks into your congregation, begins shooting people. But I'll tell you, there was a great, hard to understand and hard to explain this, but there was a great, even a sense of joy to see Mr. Jack Wilson stand up and protect the people who were in that congregation. That's hard for us as Christians to comprehend. No one wants to be placed in that position. But we live in a sinful world. And if evil went unchecked, we'd all be dead. There's a time to kill. And there's a time to heal. And going through life, you may see people killed. And you may turn the news on. And you may see all of these horrible killings that take place. And it's just a reminder that we live in a world that's full of death. He says there's a time to weep and a time to celebrate in verse 4. There's going to be days in life, folks, that are so hard all you can do is cry. I've been there. Someone you trusted hurts you. Someone you love is hurting. Someone who has been in your life since you were born dies. Verse 7 is similar to this verse. It says there's a time to tear. And that references the tearing of garments at funerals. That's what Jews did. They tore their clothing. The silence there refers to the, the, the reverence that one experiences at a funeral for those who are grieving. There are days, listen to me church, there are days when it's appropriate to stay in bed all day long and just cry. Amen? There are days when that's appropriate. You say, I don't cry. Listen to me now. The person who doesn't cry doesn't care. Amen? The person who doesn't cry doesn't care. If you love anybody other than yourself, you'll cry. It's part of life. You're going to hurt. You're going to cry. Now you can't cry forever. Because he says there's a time to laugh and a time to dance. There's weddings to attend. There's birthdays to celebrate. There's accomplishments to recognize. Life's going to be filled with good and bad. And when it's time to cry, cry, folks. But when it's time to laugh, laugh. And don't ever let your tears keep you from laughing. And don't ever let your laughter keep you from crying. He said there's a time for war and a time for peace. Verse 5, the casting of stones there refers to a practice of sowing a conquered city's fields with rocks. You didn't want them to replant. You didn't want their economy to, to begin to resurface. So they would go out where they would plant their fields at and they would fill them full of rocks. Now war is a part of life on this sinful world. And some strategies of war no doubt are cruel. And Solomon isn't trying to justify that practice. He's simply saying that there's a time in life when conquered enemies were treated that way. The gathering of those stones represents, well, there's a time of recovery. What was unworkable is now made usable again with a little hard work. Normally conquered countries, after some time, they'll recover. We got people in this room right here. You remember days of war. Some of you remember the draft. Some of you fought in wars. And you know how terrible that can be. Look at the end of verse 5. He says there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. That probably refers to the separation that occurs between a husband and a wife during wartime. Nobody wants to be sent off to war. But when we are sent off to war, all we can do is trust God. You live in a world where sometimes you're going to be sent off to war. 
And if you are, all you can do is trust the Lord. He says in verse 6, he says there's a time to get and a time to lose. Now if you're worth anything, most of your life will be spent working. Amen? If you're not working, worth anything, in other words, if you're sorry, if you're lazy, if you're a bum, you won't work. But if you're worth anything, you'll spend most of your life working. You'll earn money. You'll buy a house. You'll purchase items you want. You'll save and invest for the future, as you should. But then you're going to enter into a season when you're just getting rid of all the stuff you've acquired. Now, some of you are stubborn, and you're going to hold on to everything, right? And then when you pass, all that stuff you've gathered is going to be taken down to Goodwill. Or maybe even the dump, who knows? But as we get older, it's important to discern the right time to stop keeping everything. There's a time to get and a time to lose. You ever wonder, why do we wait until we die to give the people we love what they want to have? Or what we want them to have? Why not be sure they get it by giving it to them before we're pushing up daisies? You know, when God blesses us with things, He expects us to be a blessing as well. And if we can no longer use something, it might be best to give it to someone who can. There's a time to get, folks. And there's a time to give. And you know, you could stop, some of you who have something, you could stop a whole lot of fights. You could stop a whole lot of arguing. You could stop a whole lot of lawyer's fees. If you didn't wait till after you died to give the people you love what they want to have and what you want them to have. Listen, there's a time in life where, where you're going to recognize you know basic math. You know you don't have that much longer on this earth. And there's a time to just give. You worked and worked and saved and acquired. But then you move to that place where it's time to give. It says in verse 8, there's a time to love. The time to hate. It's the conditions around us that cause us to hate or love. Notice the references to war and peace in verse 8. You can see them all there. War equals we hate what we see around us. Peace equals we love what we see around us. There's going to be times when we'll be miserable because of the conditions we live in. And then there's going to be times when we are happy because of the conditions we live in. I remember the early 2000s. There was so much unity in the Southern Baptist Convention. I could go to the Southern Baptist Convention and it was like a revival, man. I'd come back, I'd be on fire for God. I'd be pumped up. I'd be ready to preach. I'd be ready to go, man. I'd be so happy going to the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a time of peace. This year, I didn't even go to the Southern Baptist Convention because I knew if I went to the Southern Baptist Convention, I'd come back as upset and angry and aggravated and, and I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to be that person. So I said, you know what? I'm not going. There was a time when we had a wonderful unity in our convention and great things were happening and sadly now it's nothing but one big fight. I feel the same way about our country. I love America. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But I certainly hate what she's becoming. You know, having your hope in man-made institutions is always a bad idea because it's always going to swing from love to hate. 
It's always going to sing, swing from love to hate when your faith is in some sort of man-made institution. And the idea is this. Look, you need to laugh while you can laugh because the circumstances are there for you to laugh, man. You better laugh. You better dance while you can dance because when the music's playing, that's the time to dance because I'm telling you, the season will change. And in this world, your laughter will always turn to mourning. In the next world, your mourning will turn to laughter. But I'm telling you, in this world, you have no idea what tomorrow brings. Your laughter may turn to mourning. Don't expect sunshine every day. When it's not raining, make sure you enjoy the sunshine. How do we deal with that knowledge that difficult seasons are going to come, church? Well, again, we put our mind on Christ. We put our mind on Christ because Jesus told us, I go to prepare a place for you. And if our faith is in Him, all the difficult seasons on this earth will be history soon. We know that. That if our faith is in Christ, all the difficult seasons in this world are going to be history soon. The old hymnist said, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. Now, there will be time in heaven. That isn't the greatest theology. But the point that the the hymnist was making was the times that we live in. The idea of all the uncertainty, of all the sin, of all the death that we experience. That will no longer be in heaven. There will be no times of suffering. In heaven, there will be nothing to hate. I'm telling you, folks, this, the, the answer to what Solomon is talking about here is not under the sun. The answer to what Solomon is talking about here is above the sun. There are seasons in this world, times in this world that are difficult, but, but there's a time to die, and there's a time to kill, and there's a time to weep, and there's a time to lose, and, and there's a time to hate, and there's a time of war. But one of these days, whether it's when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, or whether it's when you breathe your last breath as a Christian, one of these days, everything will change for you. What time will it be then, Pastor? Well, it'll be supper time, amen? Everybody likes supper time. It'll be family time. It'll be singing time. It'll be Jesus time, folks. You know, there aren't any clocks in heaven because it doesn't matter what time it is. But if you were in heaven and you, you were to walk up to the Lord and say, Lord, I just wonder what time it is. I wonder what time it is. You know what he'd say? He'd say, I'll tell you what time it is. It's time to laugh. It's time to dance. It's time to keep. It's time to love. And it's a time of peace. And it'll always be that. There'll be no ebb and flow. There'll be no sunset, only a sunrise. The hymnist called it the land of, uh, of, of the unclouded day. Amen. The unclouded day. Listen, if you don't know Christ, none of this world makes any sense. You don't know whether to laugh or cry. You don't know whether it's a time to dance or a time to refrain from dancing, time to love or time. You don't know what time it is. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that all the seasons in this world are going to pass and you're headed to heaven. And because of that, no matter what season you're in presently, 
you can rejoice. I hope you know Him today. I hope you're saved today. I hope you've been born again. And if you haven't, the answer is to give your life to Christ. Give your life to Christ. With every head bowed, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you. This morning, as we've looked in the words of Solomon, we're reminded that we can't figure out what's going on in this world. The seasons change too often. But I thank you that you have told us that if our faith is in Christ, we're headed to an eternity of absolute certainty that does not change because it cannot get better. If there are those here who need to be saved, Lord, I pray you'd save them. In Jesus' name, amen.